Today on CityCast Denver, the race to become Denver's next mayor is on. And boy, are a lot of people throwing their hats in the ring, thanks in part to a new fair elections fund. But has that fund been too successful at leveling the playing field? Westward editor Patty Calhoun has covered more mayoral elections than anyone, and she's back on the show today to talk about how this new fund is shaking things up. Today is Wednesday, November 30th. I'm Paul Caroli, and for Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. Patty Calhoun, welcome back to CityCast Denver. Thanks. So, Patty, the mayor's race is officially on. We had our first forum and public events last week, and so many candidates. I think it's like 20 now? I think we just had three since the start of this week jumping in. So we've got to be at about 20. And there are still people rumored to be waiting in the wings. Wow. In all of your 45 years covering mayoral elections for Westward, have you ever seen a bigger field? I have never seen anything this huge. Back in 2011, so when Hancock was first elected, it was a big field. I mean, it got up to probably 15. And you know, there always are some serious candidates. Mm-hmm. And then there's some also ran. Some of them are back from 2011. Mm-hmm. But it was wieldy. And I moderated a couple debates then. And it was interesting, the big range of people, but nothing like this. This is really huge. Yeah. Yeah. There's something about like seeing the more established, the more maybe, I don't know, the more well-known candidates interacting with the the fringe, the also ran types. That's interesting. But yeah, 20, like, I don't even know what you do as a candidate. I don't know how you distinguish yourself. Right. And how do you raise money? Mm. And how do you strategize getting in the runoff? So there's so many interesting aspects of this huge field because no one is going to win more than 50% of the vote, which is what it'll take on April 4th to become mayor. Mm. Instead, the two top vote getters will go to the runoff in June. And what percentage will you need with 20 candidates? Could you get in the runoff with 17% of the vote? It's really fascinating as people start playing the numbers. So people who've got a really strong base, maybe not a huge base, but a strong base could make that runoff. Hmm. But they might not appeal to that many people in the finals. Interesting. Interesting. Well, you invoked uh, the whole election funding issue, and that's what we're going to talk about today because that's the big news right now is this fair elections fund. And it seems to me, at least, that that's part of the reason why there are so many people in the field this year. Can you explain what the fair elections fund is? So the fair elections fund was a proposal Denver voters agreed to in 2018. And it was originally come, it re- originally came out of the late state legislator, Ken Gordon, who was all about fairness in elections. And Owen Perkins took over Clean Slate, which pushed this and worked with the city and with other people to put out this proposal, which is basically for public financing of campaigns. And there's some other limits to how how many campaign donations you can take and the size. So basically, if you pass certain qualifications, you will be matched nine to one for your donations. So that's a lot of money for some of these candidates. You have to have a certain number of donations made by a certain number of individuals, but it's a fairly low threshold. Hmm. And it's different from the mayoral candidates and the other municipal candidates. But there's an $8 million cap on this election for the Fair Elections Fund. So if you see that mayoral candidates could get up to $750,000 each, really by 
hitting a fairly low hurdle in this campaign. Any serious candidate should be able to hit it. $750,000. $750,000. Say 10 of them, say half of the current field manages to do it. We've basically wiped out this fund that also is supposed to pay for other candidates, city council candidates, auditor candidates, clerk and recorder candidates. They're eligible for this too. Huh. Yeah, that does seem like a, it could be a really big issue. But hey, we're trying out this new thing. Sometimes there's bumps in the road. Um, but help me understand, just so just so I'm clear how this actually works. Like, let's say I'm running for mayor. You give me $20 for my campaign. Do I then get a check from the city for like $180? Like, how, how does it logistically work? Well, so what work? happens is every candidate needs to fill out forms and turn them in. First, they have to say they're going for this. Okay. And some may not because it limits the size of donations you can take from individuals and corporations. And in fact, you're not even, you're supposed to keep them to individuals or named organizations. So you have to turn in your campaign reports every month and then they're, they're issuing checks every month. And the first round of checks have already gone out. It's over $2 million hmm. because both Kelly Bruff and Leslie Harrod candidates had said they were wanted to do this, qualified early, and have been turning in the reports. But so they're saying they're going to send out the Fair Elections Fund money every month. But you've got until February 15th to qualify. Hmm. So people could still be turning in things once the fund's empty. I hmm. mean, it is not inconceivable that fund could be gone by then. Wow. What happens if it runs out? Well, Denver City Council can decide whether or not they want to put more money in because this is from the general fund. It's taken from our taxes we're paying into the city of Denver. And that was all part of the 2018 legislation that was approved by voters that a certain amount would be earmarked. And that certain percentage would add up to $4 million, I mean, sorry, $8 million over this four-year municipal cycle. Hmm. But if it's exhausted, City Council can vote to take more money from the fund. But what you're going to be doing is you're going to have some people voting on that who are accepting it because some city council members in their re-election campaign are also going for fair election funds. <laughs> right. Debbie Ortega, of course. Well, Debbie Ortega, who's going as a mayor, but Kevin Flynn, for example. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a city councilman. He's a honest, good person, former reporter. Great transition. And he said, yeah, why wouldn't I go for this fair election fund? It was really set up to take dark money, influential power brokers out of the equation. Hmm. Help me understand that though, because there's something about this that's like really counterintuitive to me, that someone could say they're running for mayor and then get taxpayer funds to promote their campaign, to boost their campaign, to get their name out more. That feels like such a private interest. Like, I don't know how I feel about that as a taxpayer. Well, you don't qualify for the Fair Elections Fund unless you have a certain percent, a certain number of individual donors who've given you small amounts, but show they care about your campaign. So presumably that shows you have grassroots influence. You're with the people. People are supporting you. You're not just a tool of a developer who could give you a lot of money. If a developer gives you the amount of money it would pay, you need to qualify, it doesn't count. You have to have that coming from the individual donations. So it's kind of like the, the fairness comes from just like balancing out that dark money element. It's like creating a counterweight. Yes. And presumably anyone who really would have an appeal to possibly become mayor would be able to have, say, 50 people donate. If you can't get that, you're really in trouble. Yeah. Um, So one candidate already, um, Lisa Calderon, she's called the Fair Elections Fund a game changer. What, What changes have you seen so far in the nature of the campaigns, the rhetoric, anything? 
Well, we haven't seen that much yet except the sheer volume of people who've gone in. So Lisa, who ran in 2019, under the old, even though we'd already passed Fair Elections Fund in 2018, the last election was done the old-fashioned way. So she decided to run again. And at that first forum on the 14th of November, she said, you know, it was a game changer. This is one of the reasons I'm doing it again, because any candidate will tell you, the amount of time and energy you have to spend raising big cash is really depressing if your goal is to be a public servant. It keeps you away from talking to the issues. You are talking to donors or potential donors all the time. Hmm. So hopefully this, this fund that. will allow candidates to appeal more to the quote unquote everyday voter, the regular folks. Right. Supposedly, you should be able to run a campaign with three quarters of a million dollars. Now, we'll find out if that's the case when, right. you, when <laughs> everyone is in, has three quarters of a million dollars. But you should be able to take that money, staff your campaign, buy the ads, buy the posters, do the social media you need to, and it'll cover a strong campaign and you can pay attention to the issues. All right. So one other aspect of this that's pretty interesting is that for the candidates who are participating in the Fair Elections Fund, they are required to participate in two debates. Why does that matter? Well, it matters because it's going to be impossible. And this is one of the things only media outlets will probably appreciate until you suddenly discover what the problem is. So the the election commission, when they were talking about this, you know, they went out to talk about the first election. They met with some reporters at the press club and they said, you know, you're going to have to put on debates. Well, it is not necessarily our calling to put on debates, but I think most media outlets like to do it. But a debate with 20 people is not possible. That's a cocktail party or it's a rumble, but it is not a debate where people actually get to speak. And debate is what is called for in this measure. It doesn't say forum. It doesn't say gathering. It doesn't say online Zoom. So what we're going to have to find out is can there be variations on that theme that would be acceptable? Because most media outlets usually will cut it to, say, four candidates in a debate. Mm. Most of those big TV network things, debates we saw this fall, you didn't see a huge number of people up there. And that wasn't because there weren't 20 people running for governor. It's you want to limit it. You didn't see the very minor characters up there. You just saw the two major ones. And that's usually what people have wanted to do. Mm. And often debates... Who made it was decided by how how their, big their contributions were. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how the network TV stations often did it. It showed how serious they were. That's removed. So how do you decide which of the 20 or maybe 10 would qualify under the Fair Elections Fund? How do you decide who you're inviting? Yeah, I I, I don't know. I mean, we've talked a little bit about, you know, how we're going to cover this. And I I don't I don't see the appeal for us for for putting on a debate with 20 people. Like that would be a, what, two hour long episode of CityCast Denver. I don't know if I want to listen to that. Well, and we talked to Dominic Dizzuti, who did it a lot for Channel 12, for Colorado PBS. And, and he knew exactly how hard it was to get four people there, hmm. have them make their opening statements, have them answer questions, having them respond to the questions of each other's answers, which is what makes it a debate. Just introducing yourself does not. Then it's a forum. And will that count? Yeah. Although, on the other hand... 
my uh, the gears in my head are kind of turning here. It seems like there might be some creative solutions out there. Do you remember a few years ago, the Republican presidential primary when they did, they, they had like 30 people or something running and they did two nights and it was billed as like, uh, these are the contenders and then these are the the, the B team debate, the undercard. Right, and which was is what we would have to do. But was that really much of a debate? Think about that. Yeah. How much did we learn from those presidential debates? Right. You did not get a whole lot of information. You could see who could speak. You could see what people were wearing. But their issues, you didn't get far. Hmm. All right. So we, we've really only just started the, the election season. I mean, we're going to be talking about this for months. The election is on April 4th. Um, ballots are going to go out in mid-March. So we have plenty of time to figure this out. And I don't know, personally, I haven't really dug into any specific policies or platforms of any of the candidates, but I have noticed a trend in the rhetoric I wanted to ask you about. And it's interesting. It's a contrast with what Jared Polis just won another term as governor with, which was this like, Colorado's a good place to live. You know, people are happy here. That really seemed to resonate. All of the candidates or mayor are saying the city is broken. Not Why? all of them. And that's what's interesting. They're polls that are being done now. I just heard about a poll last night that showed that a lot of the younger people who are moving here, mm-hmm. who may not have even voted in a Denver election yet, are saying they like Denver. Mm-hmm. They moved here because they like Denver. Yeah. So maybe they like the direction it's going in. Uh, and that hasn't really hit the radar yet. The candidates that we're hearing from are the ones who've been in the city for a long time. And to position themselves, they have to say they don't like what's going on here. Hmm. Probably because a lot of us don't like what's going right. on here and the developments we've seen that- Classic Denver tension. Right, that seem to have been not done well because developers have been paying into campaigns and buying off public officials, at least by supporting them. Hmm. So I'm going to be looking into that poll more because if that's true, we could have some really interesting tension and it could create a whole new path for one candidate- to love Denver and get 17% of the vote by saying everything is perfect. Yeah. The question is, with 20 people, will you be able to get through all the clutter to actually see the great visions? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, well, one one person that did stand out, Chris Hansen, his announcement video. Did you see this where he had like a whole Iron Man thing going on? Hey, Dad, which path should we take? Which path should we take? We need a responsive city hall that has brought a customer focus to all of its operations. We need to electrify our city fleet and our buildings. Uh-oh. Looks like Dad's gone into super engineering mode again. Well, you know, a breakthrough commercial can make the difference. You've got some money now that you can make them if you qualify. But you may recall Hickenlooper's election. So that was course, 20 yeah. years ago. And he came in as the most remote of candidates, polling at 3% in January. That was when elections were in May. So we're kind of at the same position now if someone got in as Hickenlooper. No name recognition, even though he owned a bar. But he had a funny vision. You know, he had funny campaign ads about plugging meters, and he was talking about the nonsense of government. I'm John Hickenlooper, and I'm out to make change in Denver. These parking meters are just one example of what I call the fundamental nonsense of government. I would think if someone was doing funny commercials about trash pickup or potholes or the things people are concerned about in Denver right now, and people are going to be concerned about trash pickup because we're moving to a new system there. If you had a funny commercial, you could break through. All right. I love it. Candidates, if you're listening out there, make us laugh. Make us laugh. Patty Calhoun, thanks for joining me. Oh, my pleasure. 
And here's what else Denverites are talking about. Our local reclusive pizza cheese billionaire, James Laprino. Yes, you heard that right. Laprino took over his father's Italian market on 38th Avenue in the 1950s and quickly conquered the world with his low-cost, low-quality mozzarella. According to Westward, his company, Laprino Foods, now controls 85% of the pizza cheese market, supplying chains like Domino's, Pizza Hut, and Little Caesars. The 84-year-old hasn't been photographed in public since 1978, but that might change soon because his family is going to court over his multi-billion dollar fortune and the future of the company. They've all turned down my requests for comment, so if anyone out there has any inside info on Denver's shadowy mozzarella dynasty, please do reach out. And finally, some good news from our local transit provider, RTD. The agency has hired its first ever homeless outreach coordinator in response to increasing demands on transit infrastructure and personnel across the district. According to the Colorado Sun, the role has been filled by Alton Reynolds, a former city bus driver and counselor, and he's already hard at work organizing cleanups, talking to people camping at train stations, and connecting them with appropriate services. And that's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell James Laprino about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, by texting Denver to 66866. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye. Hi, I'm John Hickenlooper. I normally don't wear fancy suits, but now I'm running for mayor. Everybody says I need better clothes. They want me to look more mayoral. 